Footprints by A.M. Barrage Sir Arnold Sombey and his son Reggie had gone into the billiard room after dinner. The butler brought them coffee and noticed that they had ceased speaking when he entered the room. Sir Arnold hummed a tune as he helped himself to sugar, a sure sign that he was keeping a tight hold on his temper. Mr. Reggie, the servant observed, seemed out of sorts. The cup and saucer rattled in his hand as he took them. Barlow left the billiard room with a distinct impression that there was something wrong. Sir Arnold Somby was stout, red-faced, well-preserved, standing over six feet high in his low-heeled evening shoes. He had lived hard, written hard, and drunk hard all his life, and now that age was approaching. Gout and hobnailed liver were enforcing the debts he owed to nature. A big, blatant, black guard of a man, this boastful of the evil he had done, looking back with relish on a life full of vicious memories. His son Reggie took after his dead mother in most things. He was a tall, slim young man of three and twenty with a girlish face. He stood in mortal dread of his father, who treated him with ill-disguised contempt. He was readying for the bar with very little chance of being called, and no chance at all of making a living for himself if he were. When the butler had gone, Sir Arnold turned sharply toward his son, who was searching in the pockets of the table for chalk. Now, Reggie, he said sharply, what's the matter with you? Let's hear what you've got to say. You've been throwing all hints all day long. Why the deuce can't you speak straight out and have done with it? Reggie turned and leaned against the table, one arm along the cushion. His fingers moved nervously, tapping and stroking the cloth. What he had to say required all his courage, and the look on his father's face seemed to balk him of speech. I want to get married, sir, he said at length, with an obvious effort. He spoke quickly, lest his resolution should fail him before the sentence was completed, and the words seemed to jostle one another as they fell from his lips. Sir Arnold's deep-throated chuckle of genius amusement almost reassured him. Then why the devil couldn't you have said so before instead of beating about the bush all day, the baronet demanded. Dash it, man. I thought you've been cheating at cards or something from the way you've been going on. I didn't say you couldn't marry if you could find a girl fool enough to have you, did I? If the girls are right, I don't mind allowing both of you enough to live on until you step into my shoes. Is it that Wharton girl? No, sir, Reggie answered, flushing, and then added as he saw another question framing itself on his father's lips. It's, it's no one you know. I, I met her in town. I see. 
Sir Arnold chuckled. Some little trap your Aunt Polly let you in for. I'll wager. Well, tell me all about her. The young man began to stammer. He drew away from the table so that he stood outside the radio of the shaded lights. I didn't meet her at Aunt Polly's, he confessed. She's, she's a shop girl. He hung his head and waited for the torrent of his father's wrath to be loosened. But there was a profound silence for nearly a minute, broken only by the garrulous ticking of a little clock. It seemed to mimic his own hurried, uneven tones. Is this a joke, Reggie? Sir Arnold said at last. Good heavens, no, sir. The words seemed to be jerked out of the young man. Do you think I should joke on such a subject? No, Sir Arnold echoed, pursing his lips. No, I'm very much afraid you think you mean it. Good Lord, and you're my son? Didn't you know me better than to come to me with such a tale? Eh, you fool. But father, here, look here, my boy. The baronet continued rapidly with an odd kindliness in his tone. I don't want to be hard on you. Just be a bit sensible and you won't regret it. I had a good time myself when I was young and I don't want to stint you. You shall have an extra hundred tomorrow. I shan't grumble at increasing your allowance, and I don't care a hang what you do so long as you keep outside the registry office. When I was a young man, Reggie flushed like a girl. You don't understand, he exclaimed. I want to be fair to her. I want to marry her. Sir Arnold did not storm. Such was not the way with him when he was deeply moved. It was only on trivial occasions that he displayed a broad and Catholic taste in oaths. He merely shrugged his shoulders. Well, he said, I can stop you. You're of age, you know. Will you pardon my curiosity if I inquire how you mean to live? The younger man did not answer. You've been counting on me, I suppose. Well, you've made a miscalculation. Did you think I was going to pay for the honor of having some ageless little gutter snipe in my family? Did you, Reggie? You're the biggest fool that ever breathed and you're my son my son i thought reggie faltered you might i've never given you any trouble yet sir and she's quite presentable or nearly the baronet threw what remained of his small stock of patient to the winds do you imagine that i'm going to put up with my daughter-in-law who nearly is presentable he demanded when half the girls in the country would jump at the chance of one day becoming Lady Zombie? Why on earth are you such a fool, Reggie? Why can't you chuck her, if only for your own sake? Because I love her, sir. The words were spoken haltingly, but with a note of defiance which did not escape Sir Arnold, who sighed. I was afraid that was coming, he said. If you were a boy of 16, I could understand it and be amused, but you're too old now for me to laugh at you. Whatever you say, Reggie muttered, I must marry her. Why must you? Reggie licked his lips dry and lowered his eyes after glancing one at his father's fierce red face. Slowly, the truth dawned on Sir Arnold's not very active imagination. You don't mean, he gasped, drawing a long breath. You don't mean that, that, yes, the young man took up his cup and began to stir the dregs of his coffee. Now you see why it's necessary for me to. Sir Arnold seated himself on the edge of the table and regarded his carefully manicured nails. I don't see your point of view at all, he said. Perhaps she's only trying to blackmail you. No, she's not that sort, the son answered. She's a respectable girl. Her people are respectable. Of course, 
Sir Arnold sneered. They always are. Parson's daughter, isn't she? Offer her a couple of hundred without prejudice? I'll write you on a check tomorrow. The younger man passed a hot hand across his forehead. I can't do that, he cried. My responsibility doesn't end here, and you know it. She expects me to marry her. It is the only thing left for me to do. It's not your duty to sacrifice your career for her. Your duty to the family comes first. The woman must pay. That is one of the first laws of society. But she won't pay all, the other cried. Neither shall I. The guiltless one will suffer, suffer a whole lifetime. It's not fair, it's not right. Sir Arnold shrugged his shoulders. You were talking like a fool, he said. All of us have to pay for our existence by inheriting something from our parents that we would sooner be without. I inherited gout from mine. You can see that your child has a fair start in, your, in life. But the subject of marriage is closed, said Sir Arnold firmly. I can see what's worrying you. Well, I'll take the responsibility in the sight of heaven. A little more or less won't make any difference. But mind, if you dare to disobey me, you can go to the devil. You won't get another penny from me while I live. Reggie turned away with a sob in his throat. All right, he muttered. You know, I can't afford to quarrel with you. I hope you're satisfied now that your infernal money has brought your son's honor. The passage of nearly three years had left its traces on Reginald Zombie. In many ways, he had approached nearly to his father's ideal. He followed the hounds with extraordinary fortitude, considering that his heart seemed to turn to ice at every jump. He had acquired an average taste for strong liquors and a capacity for holding them like a gentleman. Sir Arnold was pleased to note a growing breadth of view and fewer signs of what he called a dame school sense of honor. Moreover, Reginald was enraged to marry the daughter of a neighboring family, a lady whose def deficiencies were well screened by her undisputed social position and rosette expectations. In a word, Reginald was doing the right thing by his people. To look at him on that December evening, however, did not suggest that he was at peace with the word. The shivering tout who held open for him the door of the taxi and took his sixpence pitied him. His face was pale and haggard, his eyes sunken and dull. Democles, sitting at the banquet under the suspended sword, might have looked less ghastly. The motor cab drew up before the entrance to a block of small flats in St. John's Wood. Reggie alighted and paid the man, and the cab drove away, walked cautiously up the steps, and passed through the under great lamp. Inside it was dark and cold and cheerless. Stone steps led from floor to floor, and they were slippery with snow, caked and melting, which many pairs of feet had brought in from the cheerless streets. There were footprints in which Reggie took a morbid, half-conscious interest and caught himself speculating as to which were the doctors. He knocked at a door on the second floor, and a woman came and opened it. A single bulb of electric light burned in the passage behind her, but even in the dimness, which concealed so much, her face was not pleasant to gaze upon. To Reggie's surprise, she had not been crying, or at least her face bore no traces of tears. Her eyes, slightly protruding, shone as if they reflected the light of a fierce fire. There was an expression in them which the man could not fathom, but in that instant he realized with a sudden painful shock the meaning of the word horror. 
He almost recoiled from her. Come in, was all she said. He entered, filling his way in spite of the light. As the door closed behind him, he turned and faced her. He now saw that her face was drawn and haggard, and her high cheekbones stood out in unwanted prominence. She looked like a passé woman of five and thirty, whereas she was not even twenty-two. He read in her face all that he had feared, so that that question he put was almost superfluous. Yes, she answered in a colorless voice, the child is dead. He did not ask any further questions. He coughed and struggled with an unfamiliar sensation in his eyes and throat. The woman saw tears glisten on his eyes, and some of the hardness left her face. Her own eyes grew wet, and suddenly she came to him, resting her head on his shoulder and twining her fingers around his neck. Reggie, she sobbed. Reggie, Reggie. He muttered something, but neither knew what he said. He no longer loved her, but a great pity was choking him. His thoughts, for the most part, centered themselves on the dead child, his child. He had seen it once or twice and loved it in spite of himself. Nature implants parental affection, even among the animals, who neither marry nor give in marriage. His life was not light of a burden. He had lost a son. Oh, I love him too, the woman whispered presently. Dear God, if he'd only had a name to die with, a name to be written in the registry of heaven. Her face quivered with passion. I wish that scoundrel was here to hear me curse him, she panted. Your precious father who made a coward of you and robbed your boy of birthright father and honor. Your father with his sneer and his light regard for virtue. He who was to be responsible on his own wishing in the light of heaven. I wish, her voice rose to a high-pitched and crackle. Further speech was stifled by sobs that racked her body. The man did his utmost to soothe her, half awed, half irritated by violent grief. Presently, she recovered the use of her voice. I know what you're thinking, she exclaimed violently. You're thinking that a real lady wouldn't go on like this. I don't care. I, oh, don't mind what I'm saying. Reggie, her voice suddenly sank into a whisper. Would you like to see him? She asked, tremulously. He nodded, and she led the way into a dimly lit bedroom, pausing by the switch to turn on another light. Reggie tiptoed across the thin carpet until he stood in the middle of the room where he remained stationary. The dead child lay in a cot, drawn up close beside a brass bedstead. He did not approach any nearer. Now that the child was dead, a vague, unreasoning fear of it came over him. He was not squeamish of death itself, but he knew that somewhere, in some world, a soul was wondering a soul as powerful as his own. It was not a child any longer. It had become a being. The woman came and stood beside him. She turned her face toward that of the dead child, and as she gazed upon it, all the softness that remained in her expression faded away. Her eyes blazed suddenly with the malevolence of a demon, and she went over to the cot and lifted the dead child in her arms. Reggie fidgeted and looked away. There was something weird about the woman, something subtly repulsive. He heard the sound of impassioned whispering, and his heart began to flutter. It's not nice to hear a woman whispering to her dead. Presently, the sound ceased, and Reggie looked up. The woman's wild eyes met him across the room. My son has heard me, she said in a hushed voice. Mabel, he pleaded, don't. 
My son has heard me, she repeated. I had a message. Sir Arnold shall stand by the words he spoke so lightly. My son shall take his hand and lead him to the judgment seat. A child shall lead him, a little child, my son. Her voice died away in an unintelligible muttering. Her eyes closed in a swoon. Reggie was at her side just in time to save her from falling. Early on the following morning, Reggie received a telegram. It was from Barlow, and to the effect that Sir Arnold had died suddenly on the previous night. When the new baronet had partly recovered from the shock, but not from the haunting sense of horror that accompanied it, he drove straight to King Cross and took the first train home. Barlow greeted him as the hired fly from the station drew up before the hall door. The old man's face was as white as the snow that lay like a cloak over the land. The sudden death of his old master seemed to have affected him more than the dead man's son. I'm glad you managed to come down so quick, sir, he said. How did it happen? was Reggie's first question. He died sitting in his chair in the library last night, Barlow whispered as he took his master's hat and coat. We left him there until you came, sir. The old man's lips twisted and straightened again. Dr. McVick had been in here, sir, says his heart failed, caused by a shock. Reggie took a step in the direction of a chair. A feeling of weakness and nausea had come over him. What sort of shock? He asked in a voice that was unlike his own. Nobody quite knows, sir, Barlow muttered hoarsely. The new baronet gathered together all his courage. Take me to him, Barlow he commanded. They climbed the stairs together. The library was on the first floor. It was originally intended for a bedroom, but Sir Arnold had made the alteration to suit his own convenience. Together they entered the chamber of death. The dead man sat upright in a cane-backed chair before a small table, on which were a glass, a decanter of whiskey, a siphon, and a box of cigars. A cigar had burned itself out between his fingers. His eyes were wide open and his gaze was directed low down towards the door. They were eyes that seemed to see something, even in death, something not to be mentioned, scarcely to be thought of. There was a whole inferno of terror concentrated in the gaze. Reggie uttered a low cry and reeled, but the strong arm of Barlow held him up. He took only one glance at his father and looked away, saw the wide open terror-stricken eyes, the parted lips, the head thrust forward to the full extent of the neck. Arlo, he gasped. Tell me how it happened. How am I to know, sir? You know something, the other insisted. For God's sake, tell me. Yes, sir, I do know something. The voice was hushed and quavering. But I covered up the tracks, trod them out one by one, and nobody will ever know but me and you. I saw them, sir, when I went out after the doctor, when James had woke me up and told me what happened. He paused for breath. Each man could hear his own heart beating quickly and irregularly. There's no snow under the fir plantation, sir, Barlow continued in a strained voice, and the footprints commenced just on the edge. They went across the drive and up the drive to the front door. There was a print on every step, sir. There were wet prints in the hall and just dabs here and there on the stairs. The last one was on the polished boards just inside the library, sir. Just over there by the door where I'm pointing. I wiped them up, sir, with my own hands and kicked snow over the ones outside. 
He held his young master more firmly by the arm. When he continued speaking, his voice had sunk so that it was almost inaudible. Mr. Reggie, sir. They was the naked footprints of a little child. So you can check out Footprints by A.M. Barrage in a fantastic collection called 101 Chilling Tales, Great Horror Stories by Fall River. Now, the reason why I chose this particular tale is because it reminds me of a experience that I had when I was in my late teens, early 20s. And I talked about this on long previous episodes ago, but I was with a group of friends and I had played a Ouija board in a cemetery, which I know is a no-no now. Then I didn't quite have the common sense that uh, a much wiser fatal follower would have. However, uh, played with some friends and on our way home, we had fogged up the car. It was completely a rainy, stormy, chilly evening. And on the outside of the car were these tiny baby handprints. No one had a kid, no one had a baby, and certainly not handprints that would have been on top of the car, on top of the window. So I get creeped out when I think of that story. And this story particularly, I found kind of creepy. So I thought that I would share uh, to give you a little bit of context as to why I chose this particular story. As always, you can reach out to Fatal Follower Presents a podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Horror Amino, and Fatal Follower Presents at Gmail. Stay safe, stay spooky, stay out of graveyards, don't use Ouija boards alone, and bye-bye.